when they kind of started going down the path of like, he's like, here's a, an invoice going to your bank of a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And you get that. And then you call your bank and your bank's like, we never got it. At that point, you should be like, wait a minute, I'm being swindled. I'm being totally taken advantage of here. Listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Satnam, welcome back to the show. I'm excited to have you here today because we obviously spoke a few weeks back about cryptocurrencies and the scams and I've been wanting to do this story for a while now this story is slightly I guess outside of maybe the wheelhouse of like regular cybersecurity, but I think like a number of people have asked me to uh, talk about this and in, in a bit more fidelity so I thought you would be the main man to be able to elaborate on this situation so I want to talk today about the popular documentary the tinder swindler uh, so I'm keen to from your point of view, to provide a high-level overview of what uh, Mr. Simon Levive got up to. But also, this is a spoiler alert, so please stop listening now if you haven't watched it. It's a great documentary. It's on Netflix uh, in Australia. I'm assuming it's in the US as well, so um, through Netflix. So if you don't want to hear what happens, please cut this interview off and come back and visit it later. So Satnam, please uh, give an overview of, I guess, social engineering um but also just quite nefarious um, how he operated. So I'm keen to hear your thoughts on uh, on the matter. Yeah, absolutely, Krissa. So thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, this this documentary, The Tinder Swindler, was, was very intriguing to me as well. And uh, I think just following along, I was sort of aghast when I was watching it. But essentially, uh, Simon Levive, or that's not really his real name, uh, <laughs> you'll find that out if you watch the documentary, but... Uh, he created this persona for himself of being associated with, uh, you know, the son of a very famous uh, uh, individual associated with diamonds, uh, the Levi family. And, you know, he photographed himself into pictures and he was hopping onto dating apps like Tinder and conning women into basically funding this lavish, luxurious lifestyle in order to keep the con going to make these other women that he was going out on dates with believe that he was who he said he was and he was forging documents and he was uh, spending thousands of dollars on clothing like Gucci Versace just to keep the persona going and he was eating and and staying at five-star hotels and it was basically each woman that he met he would con them out of money to basically support and fund his endeavors with the next woman that he was uh, going to con and it was just like consistent and he'd been doing this for years he'd been a con artist for years and he just sort of evolved over time to create this persona for himself and you know it wasn't until this documentary that we learned about it more broadly but he actually was uh discovered by the women that he was conning and they sort of collaborated together they went to the journalist and the press and they were able to put out articles about him and they basically boxed him in And I think the most uh, clever thing about it was at the very end, one of the women that he was conning, uh, she basically conned him back, getting him to give up all of the clothing that he owned, the Gucci Versace, and she was selling it to try to make some of the money that she had given to him back. And he was eventually arrested, but he was only in jail for a very short period of time. And I think even the documentary has helped him, you know, increase his persona afterwards. 
and he's been on social media and he's talked about how, you know, it's all a bunch of lies and, you know, that's not the true story. And he's going to tell his own side of the story, but it's, it's just a really sad tale because he was able to take advantage of so many people, so many women that he was dating on these apps and they were giving up, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to this guy. And it's, it's, it's a really sad story. It's so sad, wild, pretty out there as well. I'm curious to know though, like, I mean, because of the, you know, the research that you do, you you understand perhaps how does someone just get into this? Like, do you just wake up one day and you're like, all right, today I'm just going to be a con man? Like how, I mean, I'm a very compliant person. Like I've never copped a speeding fine or anything like that. Like, so for me, this is really outside my wheelhouse, um, obviously being a security professional uh, and most people probably listening to the show are as well. But how do you get to that stage? Do you think that it's, conscious or subconscious i think it's a little bit of both i mean i i'm pretty sure that you know this simon character he he knows what he he knew what he was doing when he was doing it and you know i think he just sort of got delusional to the point where he had to keep up this persona and he had to maintain this persona because you know as you probably know when you watch the documentary he gets to a point where even after losing you know, everything, you know, getting boxed out in terms of like not having money and, you know, all the women that he was trying to to con were basically out of the picture. This one woman who was left over at the end, she was the only person he could trust. And he was talking about how he was staying at hostels and stuff. And I, I think uh, one term he uses, he's like, I'm the homeless king. So even even at his lowest point, he still considered himself a king. You know, like he still wanted to portray himself as this persona of like someone who has it all. But even at his lowest, he still used that the term king. So I don't think he could escape this this lifestyle that he created for himself and he needed to continue to feed it. And so I'm sure there's other cons up his sleeves. I don't know what he's up to right now. Um, I haven't really followed along after watching the documentary, but I mean, I imagine it, it got him a lot of attention. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that is really important to note, and I think, you know, we're obviously going to dive into this in here is that this is not an, un, this is not a common thing that happens. Like this story, the reason why it's such a big deal and it became a, a sensation as far as a documentary is concerned is because it's so out there and it's just like absurd, right? It's, you don't hear this every day. That's right. I mean, they, from what my, from my understanding, I think that these sort of romance scams happen, but probably not to the same level. Because I guess what still gets me the most is like how he kept doing this over and over again for like years, like years, right? So, like, do you think? I mean, much to your point before, do you think that he's just so far in it now? He's like, I've just got to keep doing this, or else like there's no way out. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like a snowball, right? Once the snowball starts rolling down the hill, it just keeps gaining momentum and it keeps going and going and builds up, right? So, you know, he may have been involved in more small petty crime in the beginning when he was younger, but then once you get a taste of that lifestyle, like this lavish, luxurious lifestyle of like all these designer clothing, you know, these fancy trips, going to these, uh, you know, wonderful destinations around the world and, and traveling and meeting these women, courting them you know it's just you get enveloped in it and so i don't think he could could shake it and he had to keep keep that going it's kind of like a drug almost yeah no i get what you're saying uh so what i'm curious about as well now 
of course, social media, people can be quite uh, unfair uh, and a little harsh in the comments. I mean, there are people online saying like these women are silly and they're stupid and I can't believe they fell for it. I mean, I'm looking at it from a security lens. Um, so I guess, I mean, if I was in that position and someone was doing like saying, oh, you should have a credit card in my name, like I, I just wouldn't do that. I get the reasoning because they were like, well, I guess their, their validity for, for doing that was, well, he has a private jet. Of course he can pay me back, which I get the reason as to that's part of his con, right? But what do you think from the female perspective? I mean, People even like on the street are like, well, it seems silly, but then I guess you're not in that moment and we're just looking at it through one sort of keyhole. We don't have the all of the facts. So, I mean, I have a lot of a level of empathy for them, but I'm also the red flags do come up a number of occasions. Um, yes, as a security person myself, but then also just perhaps a little bit of OPSEC as well that goes into my my thinking and my decisions as to, yeah, this doesn't sound quite right. So I'm curious to hear from your point of view. How sort of, um, do you think these women were like off the map with their thinking or do you think it was valid? Like, yeah, where, where are your thoughts um, on that? Yeah, I think the the negative feedback that they received was, was unwarranted. I mean, if you think about it, this guy was very good at what he did. He was a con artist and he knew how to tug at their heartstrings. You know, he's promising about, you know, let's buy a, buy a place in London, you know, giving them all this hope. And he was playing the long game too, right? I mean, he didn't just like beat them and automatically ask them for this stuff. He built trust in them by doing these things, taking them places, courting them, basically, you know, going through that period of time where you're courting someone into a relationship and trying to develop their trust. And trust is a really, uh, you know, difficult thing to earn, but it's easy to lose. So, earning that trust took time. And it's not like, you know, these women were, if you think about it too, I think even in, in, in the, the documentary, they mentioned it too, you know, some people were calling them gold diggers, but they were the ones giving him money, right? They weren't just like holding, you know, they were giving their money to him because they were in love with him. And he convinced them that he was in love with them too. So I feel a lot of empathy for these women and anybody that falls for scams, because at the end of the day, you know, we can speak from a position of like, oh, you know, we have an understanding of how this works. But when you're in love with somebody, you let your guard down. And when you let your guard down, it's very easy to to be betrayed. Mm-mm. Yes, I get what you're saying. So just to press on that a little bit more, do you think that perhaps the the women or the vulnerable women, their judgment was clouded simply because of the lifestyle that this bloke led? So, you know you got to sort of see past things, right? Like, oh, well, he's got a private jet. Like, you're going to, like, that may be a red flag, but maybe you overlook it and you find justification elsewhere because you're, you're focusing on the good things that he has. And then so those red flags perhaps become not so prominent. Would you say that's the case versus, I don't know, some guy that isn't of the same sort of status, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, he, he's really good carissa i mean like you know even when he was was pretending that you know his bodyguard got beat up and that you know his enemies were after him and that you know he he needed to borrow money like he's also using an urgency factor which i think we talked about in the past with the cryptocurrency thing like you know when you're trying to scam someone out of money this urgency factor like you're in a time crunch like you need this and especially after you've developed this level of trust with these women you know 
they're they're in love with you and they're worried about your your well-being and if they see a photograph of you with blood on your shirt and your bodyguard is injured and you know he's on a stretcher like that's going to cause you real panic and fear and you're going to be worried about that person's safety so he's just he his scheme was so cleverly crafted and it just it worked and he was able to repeat it across all of the women that he was conning and you know, I'm sure, you know, looking at it in hindsight, you could see like, you know, here he's he's asking too much money. He's asking for multiple uh, tickets to this place. He's asking for, you know, to, you to give him a credit card. I mean, there's definitely red flags that do pop up. But I think in the heat of the moment, it's really hard to see that. Like when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to see that. There's definitely some red flags that, you know, I think after seeing the documentary, there's going to be a lot more people who will learn from that experience and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, something seems fishy. So I I give kudos to the journalists that investigated this, the um, filmmakers that created this documentary, because I think they're going to help potentially save, you know, countless people from falling victim to these types of scams going forward. Yeah, most definitely. I totally agree with you on that front. In Australia, the number one scam for years is still romance scams. Would you say with your experience that swindling someone is inherently easier if it involves romance versus like crypto or something like that? Uh, Well, yeah, you know, it's really interesting, Chris says that a lot of these romance scams nowadays have kind of pivoted. So when I first started looking into like online dating scams, it was when I was on Tinder, like for the first time when Tinder first came out. Because I'm an early adopter of technology, so I get on a lot of these apps early on. So I was on Tinder right in the beginning, like when it first came out, 2013, 2014. And uh, I was the first person to come across Tinder bots. I don't know if uh, you knew that, but I had some research when I worked at Symantec where I was the first one to actually publicize about it. I'm sure I wasn't the only one who experienced it. But back then, the type of con that was being, uh, you know, portrayed on the app by these scammers was essentially they're trying to get you off platform onto an adult dating website or an adult uh, webcam website. And they're using, you know, this affiliate offer in order to make money off of you signing up for the website. So if they're able to convince users to sign up for these websites, they'll get a small portion, maybe like one to $5. But if I put a credit card up and I actually become a paid member of that website and I don't cancel before a certain time period, that credit card that I put on file will help them earn an additional $50 to $100 per person that signs up. So that scam has been like, you know, the gold standard for a lot of platforms, not just dating apps, you know, Instagram, TikTok, it's everywhere. And that one persists on dating apps because it's the most easiest way to do it, right? Because, you know, if you see something on Instagram, you have a little bit of a, you know, skepticism meter clicks there, but like on a dating app, it's a little different. But nowadays, these romance scams, uh, they're moving into a different direction. They're now changing into where scammers are trying to convince you about cryptocurrency investments. They're trying to get you involved in investment scams. And they're doing it through the romance scam angle, right? So you're on these dating apps. They're kind of portraying themselves with this lavish lifestyle. But I think the key difference that I want to convey to your listeners is that the scam that Simon Levive ran is a lot harder to scale. Whereas a lot of the romance scams that we see nowadays, they're very easier to scale because you can create a bunch of bot accounts on Tinder, Bumble, 
uh, Hinge and all these other platforms. And you can try to create these scam opportunities either through the affiliate-based scam that I mentioned ago or these you know, cryptocurrency investment scams. Those are a lot more scalable. And I think that's what would likely affect most people on dating apps compared to this Tinder swindler type of opportunity. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's kind of like doing a low-level phishing um, attack. So if you hit like, I don't know, a million people, you may get 1% back. It's quite high versus a full-on whaling attack, which takes like ages to craft the plan. But if it's successful, you're quite well off. So would you say that he sort of thought through, calculated, okay, if I do this scheme, uh, it's going to take a bit longer. There's going to be a little bit more effort required. But if it comes off, which he was successful at doing, it's going to be better official for him opposed to then doing some low-level sort of low-hanging fruit very uh, basic sort of romance scams, like you sort of mentioned before? Yeah, I mean, so for some folks, you know, they, they're okay with, you know, kind of, uh, you know, dealing with these these lower level scams because they don't have to worry about getting caught, right? There's a, a lot more uh, risk involved in the, the scam that Simon Levive portrayed versus the scams that we see mostly on, on dating apps, right? There's less risk, but there's also less reward. Whereas in Simon Levive's case, there's much more risk, but much more reward. Yeah, I know. That's where it gets so interesting. So, okay, there's a few things that's coming up in my mind if we go back on the the documentary. So when Simon says to these women, hey, like, my enemies are after me. Uh, obviously, I can't use a credit card for, like, security and safety reasons. Would you mind opening up a credit card? I guess my mind went to if you're dealing with a billionaire, billionaires usually have other billionaire friends or family. Don't you think that you would start to maybe think, okay, why is he asking me? I'm clearly not a billionaire. Uh, I get the reasoning because they're in love with him and all this other stuff. But don't you think that a logical response, and I guess it's not logical because it's love, it's not, you know, it's not easy to think through. It's not, there's no conditional logic here necessarily. So I'm keen to understand, do you think that, again, their judgment was just clouded because of how they thought about him? Because I, I just would think, you know, usually billionaires have billionaire friends. Why doesn't he ask them for the money rather than me? Because he clearly knows I'm not a billionaire. So I guess I, I was curious as to how that that process went and why they perhaps didn't think past that point. Yeah, you know, again, it's it's really, you were kind of saying a lot of things that I was going to say, like you're reading my mind <laughs> while you were kind of walking through that whole process. But yeah, I mean, it, it would make sense, right? But at the same time, you know, the way that he kind of portrayed it, my enemies are after me. Look, I got, you know, stabbed here. Peter got stabbed. You know, there's blood they're after me my accounts are getting closed down like he's he basically prepared for all sort of contingencies to explain why he needed the money from them and yeah you know logically speaking you could say well yeah billionaire friends he could talk to other billionaire friends but maybe they're thinking what if those billionaire friends are the ones that are after him right they don't he doesn't know who to trust i can only trust you baby you're the one that i love you're the one that i want to move into this house with I'd be like, you're on your own, mate. Sorry. It's easy. It's easy to say that, though. It's easy to say that as an outsider. But when you're in it, I know, I know, I know. But I'm skeptical. Okay, so there's a couple of things. So one, I want to get into 
the scheme and all the things that you picked up and then cross-reference it with some of the things that I picked up. But before we get into that, if you were a criminal, which you're not, if you were to develop a con, would it be a romance scam that you would generate because in your experience you probably could swindle people more rapidly versus a crypto scam or like a dog scam or whatever it is? I don't think I would get involved in scams personally. <laughs> That's not something that I want to do. But not specifically, but I'm just saying from your experience that if you like if you were to run a simulation and it was like to do an experiment to see what got the most impact, maybe that's a better way of phrasing it. What would you do? I'm just curious to know. Yeah, I mean, I think what I would say from based on my research of what's what's going on in the industry, I mean, we're seeing a lot of romance scams take hold. That's a lot of, uh, you know, what we're seeing as well, too. But I think, you know, cryptocurrency scams are really, really the ticket, because as we discussed on the last podcast we did together, there's little to no recourse. When you lose your money, you lose your money. It's not coming back, you know, and at that point, you know, there's no way to recover it. Whereas if someone's doing running a scam that's using, you know, bank accounts and things like that, there's potential for you to get your money back. There's a potential. It's not high, but it's a lot better than it would be in a cryptocurrency scam. And I, I think cryptocurrency scams are so popular for that reason. And that's also why even on the romance scams, these scammers are also trying to leverage cryptocurrency too, because they know that there's more of a chance that they'll be able to get away with it and less of a likelihood that, you know, money will be uh, taken from them. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, so for the record, obviously, I was just curious to know um, more, more so around um, the theory and the strategy behind it uh, to see because you, you do this all the time and you, you, you research a lot of these things. Okay, so moving on, I want to talk about the scheme. What are the red flags that you identified with that came up for you watching this as a consumer, but also a security researcher? And then I'm keen to talk through some of those as to like why they were red flags for you. Yeah, that's a really good question, Carissa. I mean, I, I'm like you, I'm super skeptical. So when I see someone talking about meeting at like, you know, five-star hotel on a first date, I'm like, okay. Yeah, billionaire. Okay, I get it. So billionaire is going to want to meet me there. And then just jettisoning me off to some, you know, uh, luxurious location uh, right then and there. Like I wouldn't go <laughs> somewhere with someone I just barely met. Like I, I'm a lot more paranoid about that. You know, that's just not something I'm going to do because whether they're conning me or not, they could also be a serial killer. So I definitely don't want to end up, you know, in a ditch somewhere. Right. So um, I, I think it's a lot. Uh, for, for folks like us, because we, we live and breathe this space, you know, we come at things from a different perspective. But I think, you know, when you're being asked to, to basically loan out money to a billionaire, that's a really big red flag. Like, okay, something's not right there. Someone who claims to be a billionaire is asking you to borrow money. And it's not a small sum of money, right? They're asking you to buy them flight tickets. And then, you know, even when they kind of started going down the path of like, he's like, here's a, an invoice going to your bank of a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And you get that. And then you call your bank and your bank's like, we never got it. At that point, you should be like, wait a minute, I'm being swindled. I'm being totally taken advantage of here. Right. Like, but 
you know, he was able to just keep the con going. Like, you know what? I don't know what's going on. They froze my account. They said I have to physically go there. Here's a watch. You can take this watch of mine and you can go and pawn it off. Like, Yeah, but even that's questionable, right? Like, really a watch? Like, Yeah. The fact that we've been getting to that point, because then that would sort of signal to me like, okay, I'm definitely not going to get the money back and you're just trying to recover funds however you can by pawning a watch. Yeah, and the other thing too, Carissa, is that you know you don't want to believe that you you've fallen victim to to a scam. Like you don't want to you don't want to actually believe that you were being taken advantage of by this person that you put your faith and trust and love in, right? So there's there's a, a denial factor too to take into consideration. Like you are in denial. Like no, he why would he do that to me, right? He says he loves me. He says he wants to move in together. He says he wants to start a family together. You might convince yourself that okay, I'm just. I'm tripping out. This is this is not. I'm I'm maybe overthinking it, and it's it's such a mind trip. I think is also the 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 key thing that I took away from this is that for all the women that were scammed by this person, like he played with their minds so bad. Like you know, I think even in the in the documentary, one of them talked about you know considering taking their own life, which is very crazy, right? When you think about it, like that's how messed up he he made them, and it's it's sad. So, I mean. Like I said, I think the one thing that I, I I really value in this documentary is the fact that I think there's going to be a lot more people that are going to be skeptical, skeptical and not willing to fall for these types of scams potentially. And it's probably saved maybe countless women from falling for these scams and men too. I mean, we don't see that side of the equation too. I'd be curious to see how much that's going on. Yeah, that's a good point. His scheme was quite detailed. It was quite thorough. It was quite well thought out. I thought for someone in this space... Um, doing this scam at this level. Um, so one of the things that came up for me as well is on the recon side of it. So he had it pretty mapped out. Like he had a fake website with LLD Diamonds, which is a legitimate company. Obviously there's no affiliation. And then I'm pretty sure he Photoshopped himself into the photo with the billionaire that owns the diamond company. So that looks legit. Um, so his, his research sort of like, checked out with if you oh, sorry if you were the background checked out when you were doing the research so I think that that was good in terms of oh well, people are going to look me up right so I get that side of it I would say the thing that really rattled me the most was the hundred thousand dollars but then when Amex approved it instantaneously that's what rattled me now I say this because I've worked in a bank now it's not like, oh, it's five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month, right? Like, you know, those are those are those are ranges of like average salaries that people would have. But when you're getting up into a hundred thousand US dollars a month, what got me was they didn't do any background check to see, okay, show me the last three to six, twelve months that you have been paid into your account of a hundred grand a month. And so I often, you know, I think it was a bit of failure on their side of it. I think that it shouldn't have just auto been like, yep, cool, that's been approved. Um, So I guess that that was a big failure on their behalf uh, because it is quite a large amount. And I think that if they were like, actually, no, we're going to actually quarantine this and look into it a bit more, it's quite a high amount. It's not something that we see often. And we need to verify that those payments are coming from the legitimate LLD diamonds into this person's account. And also, how long have you been working for the company? Because they also 
tried to say like, oh, she works for me now to legitimize it. So I guess that's what really triggered me the most. What are your thoughts on that? No, absolutely. And like you said, you have a history of working in this space. You, you, you caught that pretty quickly. And I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. That was really, really, really shady and, and, and very cleverly done, I might add. I mean, he, like you said, he mapped this stuff out so well. I think he also, uh, you know, just built that persona even on his, his Instagram too. Like living that luxurious lifestyle, portraying himself as being this billionaire rich guy. And I, I don't like giving the guy credit because I think he's a, you know, very, you know, slimy individual. But it's just, it's really well done. And it's sad. Yeah, it is sad. I get that. I think the other thing is as well, he would get the credit card, but then he'd max the card out. Like some of these women were saying within 12, 24 hours. Like, don't you think it's like, what are you buying? Like Mm -hmm. you've just, you've just blown 20 K in a day. Like really? And then, oh, you want more? Like, I think that would be like a significant red flag. Yeah. And I mean, even when the journalists were doing the digging and they figured out like, you know, he was buying these, these tickets for the other women, right. They were able to kind of dig a little bit deeper. Right. And I think it's just, yeah, man, I, I, just I, I rewatched it again just because I was like I, I it's been a while since I've seen it but yeah I man it, it definitely triggered me watching it too because I was just like wow this is unbelievable so how do you sort of believe he managed to keep up so many stories at the one time I mean I don't think there's any fidelity around how many women he had at the same time but obviously it went on for years he would have had a few on the go because the previous woman would fund the next woman and so on and they're all at various levels so what I mean by that is Ultimately, he was swindling one with the jet and all that and, you know, taking her out. And then the next, you know, then it goes on. And then it, the, the next sort of level to that is the uh, the bodyguard getting attacked. And then And then the next thing is it's the credit card. And then it's just, it's all of that. So how does someone manage that? It's not like he's got a CRM in place where he's managing all of his uh, clients. So like that must be quite overwhelming to handle people like... Do you think his story ever sort of tripped up? Because, I mean, I don't know how many people he was dealing with, but it, that's a lot of information to because it's it's fabricated as well. So it's not like he's dealing with all these people that he's telling the truth with. So it would be hard to keep that story going. Yeah, and, you know, I think uh, one of the things too, if, if you go back and watch, like one of the things I noticed was that his cons kind of progressed and they changed over time. He wasn't always running this game, the same scheme. So I think this Simon Levive one was going on for some time but i think maybe he kind of kept his roster of, of of you know women he was conning to probably a minimum maybe of like five at a time and he was just kind of transitioning through those after time right like he would kind of do it that way one thing i kind of wonder is uh what role did peter play in this whole thing was peter kind of the person was that his personal crm was peter the one kind of keeping the story straight you don't really know and a lot of the times too i think even in the in the end with um I'm forgetting her name, the, the the last girl, the one who was his girlfriend for 14 months. Um, she she even said, like, she was watching that video clip that uh, I believe Cecile got, and it was, like, same clothing, same video around the same time. So he basically just pre-recorded those videos while on the same trip in the same same plane, and he was just basically preparing them for the women and he was basically keeping it so he kind of had his story straight because he's like hey cecile hey so and so um and that way maybe he was able to kind of keep it to a minimum where he's only having to spend his mental cycles for like 
10 minutes at a time. And then when he's engaging in conversation, it's easy to keep track of those because of, you know, the um, contact card on your phone. Yeah, true. And I guess those videos he was recording, they were scalable. So it wasn't like, oh, hey, Carissa. Like it wasn't like he didn't sort of, he removed names and stuff like that. So he could repeatedly use the footage, uh, which made it a lot easier for him as well. So he didn't have to redo it each time. I think he did it at the same time, right? Like he was probably just sitting there on the plane. He's like, all right, let me record a video for all of my, for all of my women and basically send it to them at the same time just to kind of let them know I'm thinking about them as I'm flying on the plane and, and then crafting the story saying, you know, I'm going to Munich for this reason, telling this person that, but in actuality, I'm going to Munich to meet this other person. So yeah, I I mean, if you take into consideration the fact that he doesn't have an actual job, right, he's not working, you know, a nine to five, he has the the mental cycles and capacity to kind of keep up because that was his gig, right? Scamming these women was his gig. So do you think, I think one of the other things that they said that the driver that he had didn't actually know anything about it. So do you, and then I think his ex-wife or partner or something was involved in the scam, the kid on the plane. Like, do you, do you think these people knew to some level? I mean, there was probably maybe some people knew more than others, but then I'm pretty sure one of the ladies, they even asked her, like, do you want to be involved in this? And she was like, no. So do you think that some of these people like Peter and the, the lady on the plane, they actually did know? Or do you think that they were sort of perhaps removed from a lot of the antics that were going on behind the scenes? Yeah, I, I don't know, because that would be me uh, making an assumption. I mean, I don't know if the, you know, if you think about it, the attack on on Peter and, and uh, on Simon, right? Like that whole crafted story, like Peter must have known about that, right? He must have known that he was using that footage unless he really did get attacked somewhere. Maybe he got into a fight with somebody at a... Yeah, he did. Yeah, they did. it was a bar fight. Peter may not have known, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I think in the at the end, they mentioned that not, neither of them were charged, right? His uh, business associate and, and Peter never got charged with anything. So it's possible they didn't know. But what's weird to me though, Chris, is that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the mother of his child... She was one of the people, wasn't she, that actually went forward and testified? Uh, she testified originally, and then she got swindled into this bloke scam. Yeah, so she testified originally against him, but then how did she end up back? That's the thing that I kind of couldn't really figure out. I don't know. It's twisted. It's messed up. I don't want to know why or how. It's just weird. I think that is a big question mark that a lot of people have. Like, why would she go back and, and then allow other women to fall victim of the same thing that she had? And she's got a kid to this guy. That's what gets me the most. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe she was in on it. Maybe she wasn't in I don't know. It's hard for me to say. Like, I mean, we don't know what... Unless they come out and do their own, like, tell-all book or story, we probably will never know. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the other thing that was a red flag for me as well is he was always traveling. And it's like, oh, we don't actually know where he lives. Don't you think that is a question mark? Like, well, where's your actual house? Oh, I don't have one. Like, that to me is a bit suspect. Yeah. Well, but I mean, he also had this, you know, persona. Like, he's a traveling man. He's a, you know, billionaire. He's he's ha- He has to travel. And he's meeting these women in places that he's doing business in. So if he lives in a particular area... The likelihood of him bringing him back, bringing him back there, is is unlikely. He's probably just like, hey, I'm I'm constantly on the move. I have to go from hotel to hotel for the business. You know, there's plausible deniability. And mm. what about his sort of prosecution of five months? What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I don't know how the, the the law works for that. I mean, he was I think he was convicted for 15 and they got out of five. I don't know how I it, it baffles me. It really does. Like considering, you know, how much he managed to steal, I think they, they set up to maybe 10 million dollars. Right. So like, like, I don't know how you get away with that. So what do you think happens now? So if we got like, I think there was something in the, the Daily Mail here in Australia, there's another Tinder swindler in Australia going around. There's probably there's lots of them, right? So I'm just curious, like, is there going to be ramifications for people? Because that's where it gets interesting because it was, like, cross-border as well. Like, I think he got arrested in Germany and then, like, he got um, uh, sent back to Israel and then he got sentenced there, but the laws are different. Like, how does it work when you're committing these crimes overseas? I mean, the laws in the US are different to Australia, right? So how – because I get that, yes, he is – he was born in Israel and he's an Israeli citizen and I get that. But the thing is, it's a little bit more to it than that as well. So I, I was curious to know, this could become a big problem if people know that they can get away with it, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, Chris. I feel like the, the amount of work that's required to create this whole persona and do everything, it's not something that anybody could do. It's not easily scalable. And I mean, there is a huge risk, right? Like, I mean, you know, this this may have been something that he he kind of got a little bit of jail time for, but I don't see this being something that's going to be like, I don't expect there to be like hundreds of, of you know, Simon Levives popping up. I don't expect that. That's not to say that there won't be some people that see this and want to try to get in on it. But I think now with more people being cautious and more cognizant of it, I think there's less likelihood that people are going to be willing to fall for it as easily. That's not to say that, you know, the general romance scams that we do come across, those are more likely to succeed uh, versus this type of scam. I just think there's too many variables at play. And I think now with everybody kind of knowing that this happens, there's a lot more people that are, I guess, taking the approach that you and I take of, of skepticism when they're on these dating apps. So if you had to sort of pick, I mean, the whole documentary just blew my mind and it just rattled me completely from start to finish. But if there's one thing in the documentary that rattled you the most, what was it and why? I think honestly, like when he started threatening the women, right? Like, you know, uh, the way he started threatening them once they started to put push back against him, right? Like, like Cecile, when she was starting to push back and he like knew where she lived, knew where her mother lived, that stuff really worried me for their safety. And like, even, even in the case of, uh, you know, the, the last gal who, you know, went to go see him, like she said she was driving to like this remote location. I was just like, I, I hope nothing, you know, like, I mean, clearly they were okay, but like, in your mind, you're thinking this is really risky, right? Like I know your 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 game is because you want to con the con man, but that's a huge risk because you don't know if he's willing to go to such great lengths to keep his identity concealed and and keep this lifestyle going. What lengths is he going to be willing to go to to prevent you from exposing him? Right? That's really creepy. So from your experience in in working across multiple scams, what are some of the lessons perhaps you can share for consumers? about Mr. Levive's sort of antics or in this romance scam game that you can share for people to take away perhaps that they can consider when they are dating online or dating in person for that matter? Stop using dating apps. I'm just kidding. Can't do that, right? Like, I mean, it's skepticism. I mean, I know it's a very like, 
uh, you know, cliche thing to say, but like being really skeptical of the people that you meet with and interact with online. Cause I think that's really, this story kind of sort of implies like the main problem we have, you know, with the, with the luxury of having the internet, right. People can claim to be someone that they're not on the internet, whether it's through a persona on social media or through a dating app. And I think that's one of the biggest ways that scammers are able to take advantage of users is by impersonating people. Like we even have all these scams involving like fake Elon Musk's and things like that. Impersonation is the name of the game at the end of the day. And I think being very mindful of the fact that the people out there are going to try to con you and just not be, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. That's a very cliche saying that I use across most of my stories and articles that I've written. And I know it's like, oh, it's easier said than done. But really, that saying has been around for so long because it still holds up even years later. You know, even before the dawn of the internet, this advice probably existed for, you know, in-person scams that would happen with people that would you would meet on the street, right? Like, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. And to just, just be really, really skeptical. And I know it's hard to do, especially on dating apps, because you're wanting to let your guard down and trust someone in order to get into a relationship with somebody. But even when you have like the slightest inkling that something doesn't add up, trust your intuition because your intuition won't fail you. I guess um, that's a great point. Totally get it. But I think for me, if I were to like, I don't know, do a simulation and see, I would probably think if I was asking someone, I think it's getting fidelity on the question. So for example, it's like, oh, like, what do you do for work? Oh, like I work in consulting. Okay. What type of consulting? Which consulting company? Try to maybe back verify. Okay. They say they worked at X company. Look them up on LinkedIn, for example, to verify that that's the case. Like, I would probably go down that level. Obviously I'm very skeptical. So for me, um, I think that I like to back up the information and always double check that. So I think perhaps it's people giving blase answers on things and not giving sort of um, detailed responses that would start to get me very skeptical on things uh, and avoiding or avoiding the question or trying to deflect or asking me a question back that potentially would be what would get my security hat on to start investigating that more. Yeah, but the thing is, Carissa, like, you know, I can create a fake persona of myself on uh, LinkedIn, too, and claim that I'm, you know, associated with a company or a brand, you know, there's no verification that goes into place. Like, I could say I work for... LL Diamonds. Yeah, I could say I work for them, or I could say I can work for a big multinational corporation. I could say I work for a big bank. Yeah, because no one's auditing it, right? Yeah, there's no, you know, like, I can change my LinkedIn right now to say that I work for, I don't know, say I work for Apple right? But who's going to know? Like, unless they know someone who also works at Apple, they could reach out to them. But if I work for like a very um, obscure company and I create a website for that obscure company because I can register a domain, let's say that domain has never been registered or I register the .co instead of the .com, right? And then I create a fake website that has my picture on it. It says I'm this and that. Like, it's not that hard to create a backstory as Simon Levive proved in the Tinder Swindler. So that doing the fidelity, I think is great. I think it's really good to do your homework, but the problem is, is that they're also competing with you too, because they might be able to telegraph your moves. They know you're going to go to LinkedIn. They know you're going to go Google them. So what can they do to 
make sure that what you find on Google is going to be beneficial in convincing you that they are who they say that they are. I think it was just, if you just say you're meeting someone in person, I just wouldn't get on a plane with someone. My response would be like, you could be a criminal, right? Like, I don't know you. You're an ax murderer. Like, I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, I think that, th- th- I think there are certain operational security measures that I personally would take if I was in this situation. Um, and I'm just using myself as an example here um, to reduce the risk. Um, and I think that that's something. And unfortunately, I have spoken to people uh, that I know or just random people that I meet because they obviously know the work that I do, that they have shared some of these stories with me. And they're like, oh, like, what did I do wrong? I'm like, okay, well, if I was you, I would, wouldn't do this, 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 or this. This to me is a red flag. So I think it's more about getting that awareness up, questioning things. Um, I mean, you don't have to be so skeptical where it's like, you know, you have to do a full-on investigation on So I'm not saying that. I think it's just certain things are alarming. And I also think, I know this sounds a little bit airy-fairy, and I hate to say it, but I think gut feeling as well. Like I said, if it doesn't feel right, probably isn't. I think it's those types of things that people should be cognizant of um, to ensure like their their safety as well as their financial safety. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. I wouldn't get on a plane with a stranger that I just barely met for the first time either. That just seems really suspect. And even then, like, I mean, if you think about it, like, I don't even want to give out my number that quickly to someone that I just connected with. I'd rather just like connect. And then I think even these dating apps allow you to make uh, audio calls too. So you don't have to give out your number now. So I would just do that. And then if I meet them in person and then I'm like, okay, maybe I'll give you my number after. Cause like, I mean, just if I'm not willing to give you my number, the last thing I'm gonna do is gonna get on a plane with you. I don't know. You might be swindled by private jet and caviar and everything else that will happen on the plane. Who knows? I'm joking. All right, Satnam. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Uh, you know, you're honest about you know some of the questions that I did ask you because I think it's it's right that people know um, how this looks, especially for someone like yourself who is a researcher in this space. So I really appreciate your time yet again for coming on the show, and yeah, can't wait to get you back for another um, scam scheming situation that arises. Absolutely, Chris. It was my pleasure, and I look forward to the next conversation. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.